0: Welcome back to the Play On Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Stavros. Today we are privileged to be speaking to David Ivers, Festival Artistic Director and Director of this season's production of Much Ado About Nothing. David's been an actor in over 45 productions during his 19 seasons with the Utah Shakespeare Festival, including Salieri in Amadeus, Tony in Dial M for Murder, Atollicus in The Winter's Tale, Benedict in Much Ado About Nothing, Clown Number 1 in The 39 Steps, Jaques in As You Like It, Jake in Stones in His Pockets, and the title roles in Scapan and Richard II. David will also appear as both Felix and Oscar this fall in Neil Simon's The Odd Couple. As a director for the festival, David's credits include Cyrano de Bergerac, The Complete Works of William Shakespeare, Abridged, Romeo and Juliet, Twelve Angry Men, Twelfth Night, and Charlie's Aunt. He's also directed at the Guthrie Theater, the Berkeley Repertory Theater, South Coast Rep, and Pioneer Theater Company, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Denver Center Theater Company, where he was also an actor, Alabama Shakes, Idaho Shakespeare Festival, Portland Center Stage, Portland Repertory Theater, ACT, and Seattle Repertory Theater. David, thank you so much for being with us uh, on this amazingly wonderful and busy week here at the Utah Shakespeare
1: Festival. Thank you. Glad to be here, as always. We're
0: so excited to visit with you. Uh, I know our listeners are really excited to hear more about Much Ado About Nothing, uh, specifically uh, this year in the Engelstad Theater. But this is not... uh, You have a long history with this show, uh, not just as a director, as an actor. And you talked about that as you sort of introduced your concept to us a few months ago. Tell us a little bit about where you're coming, the place you're coming from as you're working on Much Ado this year.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I do have a long history, and I just I just found out this morning, actually, that the festival uh, has produced this play eight times in its history. Um, and I realized that that means as I hurl toward middle age, <laughs> I, um, I have been a part of four of them now, so half wow. of them, which is so bizarre to me. So the first play... I ever acted in at the festival in the Adams Theater was Much Ado, I played Baraccio, And then when Brian Vaughn played Benedict, I played Don Pedro. Yep. And then in 2010, the last play I acted in on the Adams stage was Much Ado About Nothing when I played Benedict. And now, uh, for reasons of uh, sentimentality and nostalgia, I suppose, I thought it would be really um, exciting to come full, cir- full circle. A phrase Shakespeare invented, um, <laughs> uh, and direct my first production of it that I've ever directed on the new outdoor Ingolstadt Shakespeare stage. So you've got you've already got
0: three bookends <laughs> yeah, in three some way two. or another yeah. of with, yeah. of the four times you've. I'll get struck by light. <laughs> <laughs> Um Well, that's really that's that's awesome. I, tell us a little bit about you know it comes up a lot, especially. When directors have been actors before, I like to talk about the idea of of the perspective on a show. When you're an actor in a show, I've, I've been there myself. You see the show from your character's perspective. You've played two diff, two very different characters in the show.
1: I've played four. I've done, oh, you've I've done, done, it done it other two places. Other what other What other characters have you played? I played. So I played Baraccio, Don Pedro, Benedict twice, and Dogberry once. So yeah, that could, they could, could not be four more me. different.
0: Yeah. So you've got <laughs> there. You've got those in your head. How do you approach Taking the step back and a step up to see the show as a director. What is that like for you?
1: Well, I think the first thing I try to do, I I mean, I I don't know because I've never directed it, so I didn't know how much would be in my head or not, Uh you know, but I did know that I'm very familiar with it. And uh, so the first thing for me to do was to really not be conceptually anywhere near where I've ever been before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And part of that came with I was really interested, as you'll see represented in. In the production, a more mature Beatrice and Benedict heading toward middle age, um, and, uh, and a setting and an environment that is very specifically located, uh, that, that's responsible to what Shakespeare wrote, responsible to the Elizabethan period, and, um, and responsible to how the text tells us the play must take place. So doing those things helps me and helped me eliminate, I guess is a word, like what my preconceptions are sure. based on the productions I've been in. The other thing to remember is, <clears throat> excuse me, that when you're playing Baraccio or Dogberry, you know, as an actor, we're a selfish creatures sometimes. And we're really just paying attention to that storyline. Yeah. It's really the director's yeah. job to pay attention to the conceptual world of the play and to make sure the story is being told as a, as a fully completed arc. Right. Right. As an actor, I'm like, my line, but, you know, <laughs> that sounds like somebody else's problem. I'm yeah.
0: worried about this moment, this bit, well, this and, thing. And
1: that's what you should be doing yeah, as an sure. actor. It's like, well, how am I responsible? What's my responsibility to the story? And so because of that, I, there was a lot of white noise around other scenes that I haven't examined from the perspective of a director. That's what made it thrilling to direct, actually. Um, and so, you know, I, uh, I can't, I won't lie, I hear things a certain way in certain characters, but I try really hard not to impose that, and I don't think I have on the cast, you know? There are things that are very similar in se- several sections of this play, of several productions I've done, but I think good actors in good containers find their way there. Sure. And um, that's what's happened in the coincidences, and then there's stuff, that I never dreamt of uh, that's come to fruition. And actually, one of the things I'm really excited about with this production is we have, based on the research I did about where the play is located, uh-huh. we have pulled every component of the play based on the location. So, you know, it's set in Messina uh, at Leonardo's estate, which here is an orchard uh, like there are that. Presses, wine, olive oil, uh, citrus, olives, uh-huh. um, and uh, so we
0: are at an Italian villa. We're at an Italian uh, estate. Yeah, in, I call in it, But I
1: call it my farm-to-table restaurant. <laughs> um, and 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 we're we're in a place where it's an active working. So you'll see a ladder. There's a tree. There's you know, there's uh, young trees. Um, there's a pastoral kind of imagery about what's perhaps in the distance. And uh, this is all calculated to also be somewhat of a jungle gym, you know? It's all calculated to be a kind of world of mature people climbing trees and finding their three dimensions again, particularly when it relates to Beatrice and Benedict. And so those two two things working together um, became very interesting to me how you have one thing that might look like something and actually what it is is this sort of playground, you know, that's, in nature. It's
0: <laughs> so interesting to hear that the, the idea of those, of what we're gonna see m- mirror the characterizations you're talking about uh, in terms of Claudia, Claudio and Hero and Beatrice and Benedict. Talk about them, those the, the two couples in this play as, as you see them as, uh, as a director.
1: Yeah, well, it's an unpopular stance probably for Beatrice and Benedick, those actors, but on paper, I really believe that it's not—they're a subplot, actually. You know mm-hmm. that that Hero and Claudio, they're the inciting they're, They are. Their their trajectory uh, is the thing that moves the dramatic action of the play forward and creates the larger conflict. You know, now that conflict is based on a lot of hearsay. As a matter of fact. <laughs> Everything in this play is based on what people hear and what people see many times firsthand, but sometimes secondhand. Yeah. And um, that's that's an interesting thing. So one of the reasons why I chose to look at a more mature Beatrice and Benedict is because based on what happens in the younger love story of Hero and Claudio and witnessing it, noting it, mm-hmm one has to learn something from it and I think that it's great for Beatrice and Benedict to be at an older place in their life and see what happens and say do we really want to risk going through that or 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 just being fractured forever in a relationship that clearly once was yeah you know and do we does our pride want to stand so strongly uh, against our hearts and uh, what happens to Hero and Claudio I think is is somewhat tragic. It's somewhat difficult for a modern audience to digest um, the to the extent to which Claudio goes to to have his sort of revenge and shaming Hero at her wedding. But I posit if a modern audience had all the tools in front of them to contextualize it and how Shakespeare's world it existed, uh, and also. Sometimes if the audience just turned on CNN, we'd, we'd, find, a far, uh, we'd find it far less offensive. Sure, uh, It's interesting to me that an audience cannot wait to accept the convention of Beatrice and Benedict overhearing something and turning it into reality. But they're not willing to accept the convention of Claudio overhearing something and turning it into a reality just because it's ugly.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it, 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 it speaks to what we want not what, and what we yeah. don't. And, it's audience guilt projecting. Well, and, yeah, absolutely. Well, and the idea that it, to, to help give us as audience members that tool, you're going to, to juxtapose the youthful rash love with a more mature couple that has some mileage and has some history and has some, its own things to work through. But you get to, we get to see as audience members... Uh, an age difference in the yeah. way we respond to this her- hearsay. The much you said much ado. You said noting earlier. Talk about why you said much. Ad- you said noting specifically. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I wrote. I wrote, the, wrote about this in my director's notes in the souvenir uh, program, and and you know, in Shakespeare's time, this play would have been um, pronounced uh, and received uh, as much ado about noting. Uh, nothing is actually was commonly pronounced noting, even though it held the same meaning as nothing. So Mm -hmm. it it had two meanings that were. And if you were to come to this play and just put in your thoughts as you watched it, uh, the perspective of noting, to note, to take note, what are you noting? You will find that that will unlock an extraordinary uh, kind of um, relationship to the play. Because literally from, the second scene in the play uh, people start talking about what they've heard, uh, what they're hearing, what they're seeing and what it means. Uh, Don John's entire subplot is about, um, let's make people see something that it isn't that makes them believe something malevolent, you know? Yeah. And uh, every subplot hangs on that device. And it's a very interesting, way to come at the play and frankly it surprised me that I would come at the play that way it's not a way that I've looked at at other stuff just to really pay attention to what that one component is and see how it can inform every scene and be able to point out hey cast here's another one here's another one there's another rumor flying here's another you know perception that may or may not be accurate
0: it's really interesting. Oh, yeah. Cool.
1: Uh, all right, we've talked a little bit
0: about what we'll see on the stage. We've talked about your concept. We've talked about the scenery and, and a little bit of the performance. Tell us about what we're going to hear uh, in terms of the soundscape that you're working through with your design team.
1: Well, you're going to hear uh, an extraordinary text, um, which I do think is, is perhaps the greatest romantic comedy. Uh, it's so intelligent, daring, bold. It's so risky, Shakespeare, with this play to put what he puts in this wedding. You know, without pulling any punches, and 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 frankly, with with kind of a gender identity and strength in women, and also the the battle of 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 Beatrice's place and her inability because society hasn't given it to her to act and to have to rely on a man, which is criminal, but it's still happening. You know, yeah, and that's unfortunate. It's, but, it's but unfortunately
0: it's, contextual. I mean, yeah, yeah.
1: So it makes it a very modern play in great ways, and also because the text also has such a modern ring to it, particularly Benedick. Mm -hmm. Um, So you'll be hearing stuff I think that you can't believe is Shakespeare, Um, uh, stuff that you know is Shakespeare. There's so many famous passages. But uh, coupled with that you'll hear an original composed score uh, that has been composed by Greg Coffin, who is probably my most cherished collaborator. Um, I have done a ton of things with him and I've known him since college. Mm -hmm. He composed the score to the Cyrano de Bergerac that I directed here in 2008. He orchestrated The Coconuts, which is here, uh, that uh, he and I uh, helped to usher into the world uh, with the world premiere at Oregon, Shakes, and at the Guthrie Theater, and is now here under a different director, but he's here with that as well. Uh, And he created the score for for Much Ado, based on our collaboration. That doesn't add a ton more music but it adds three little interludes and then um, you know incidental stuff between scene transitions that again we located where we located sure so some of it's in italian which i love you know a lot well actually most of it's in italian uh the song parts uh and to me what he's done and what we've done together is to bolster tonally how much this place shifts you know You, you have you have Great comedy on every scale, crashing right into tragedy, then moving right into a a base comedy with the watch, then moving into a a redemptive scene in a tomb of a supposed dead hero. One reality for one set of circumstances, another reality for another set of circumstances. And music, for me, has always been an in to help provide um, what those tonal shifts are. And it's a beautiful score, I believe, uh, that gets at the heart of um, what we want to say. Certainly by the end of it.
0: Excellent. Uh, as artistic director, you and as artistic directors, you and Brian work together to cast the whole season. For our listeners who may not uh, know the sort of ins and outs of casting a repertory season, can you give us just a brief, some brief context about your your Casting process, and then we'll talk specifically about how it relates to your show.
1: Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's the most challenging and most rewarding part of my job, and the longest. Yeah, it occupies the most time in my calendar. And Brian and I start. I mean, we're already batting around names. You know, we we start with some names. We start with returning people. This is in context with knowing what the needs of the season are, sure, sure. The play, you know, the plays are. We, of course, know what 2017 is. We haven't, haven't been announced yet, so we're already, hey, I've got an idea. What do you think of? And we, we start with, you know, uh, coffee, orange juice, tea conversations, you know, uh-huh. about what do you think, what do you think? And then quickly here, once this season gets open, that'll move into some formality. As a matter of fact, as quick as July 18th, we're on the road for five days to see work at another company and to audition for two days, uh, actors from that company, for our company, who are looking for work. Um, And then that starts to prompt more serious negotiations because the the directors for next season are are starting to be hired right now. They have needs. And it is like six months, you know this, of course, of, of back and forth spreadsheets you know, napkins in airports, you know, <laughs> um, chicken scratch on, you know, on, uh, on whatever we can write on our computers are filled and we, and we really take it of course seriously, but also I think it's a very, it's a, it's, it's, it's a very emotionally centered, um, part of our process and emotion, meaning heartfelt, uh, careful. We talk about curating the acting company in some ways, because it's not just about talent at sure. all. In a rep company here, it's about heart, attitude, go-get'em company. And I, I don't, I don't compliment our us at all. Other than in this area where I feel like we, because we come from it, we are very, very uh, proud of the people we get here and the acting company. Talent aside, just in terms of their absolute commitment to their hearts and to the generosity that they bring to our work. Well, especially, I, I mean, I, I feel it,
0: you know, being working for the company, not necessarily being an acting company, it's you're hiring co workers we want to work with, oh, not yeah. just actors on a stage. Yeah. And with the additional challenge of you're not just casting one actor in one show several times throughout the season, you have to cast people in 2 and 3 and sometimes 4 roles all at the same time yeah. mixing schedules and all of the you know, so logistical stuff uh, and that's not that's not easy.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes I say I wish I could go faster, but I don't, you know. The, mm-hmm. the 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 amount of time it takes is is the amount of time it takes because we got to be careful. It's so easy to make a mistake. It's so easy to make a mistake in just that Getting something out and realizing when we're tired, or try, look staring at the same list in the rep and saying, "Oh my gosh, we just made an offer to an actor to do Mary Poppins, and they can't because they're in the show opposite." Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's not happened, but it's been close. No, it,
0: well, it, and yeah, I mean and, that's, and, it speaks to the care you have to take.
1: Yeah, and if there was ever an argument for for the two of us, you know, uh, it it is that it <laughs> is that, that 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 we have a Um, eye to eye uh, equality level relationship in our work and our pay scale and everything that allows us to not have to be yes men to not have to be but to really really be on the same page and we are I mean that's one of the great things about working with Brian is we're both on the same page about where we want to head but also we have the same aesthetic when it comes to the kind of people we want in the company Uh, not just actors but other artists in the company as well and uh, yeah, so it's painstaking, but, but, it, but it, it's rewarding. So uh,
0: I heard once a directing sort of axiom that 90% of your show is, or 90% of your problems are solved in casting, in how you cast a show. Um, and I, I know for me, I've seen that prove true time again. Um, and it's good to hear the care you take. As you think about, you know, you and Brian both directing this season, um, and you're not just casting shows for other directors; you're casting shows for yourself uh, as directors, in addition to artistic directors. What did you? What were you and Brian looking for when you were looking for Beatrice and Benedict, particularly there? I mean, you. I love the idea of it of the action of the plot being driven by Claudio and Hero, and I think that's. I think you've hit on something really interesting that I had never really thought about before. But there's still something important about the interplay between Beatrice and Benedict is that subplot. And you have to have the right people, especially when you're creating this juxtaposition in age between Claudio and Hero and Beatrice and Benedict. What did you and Brian look for?
1: Yeah, um, well, I, I mean, I, I think I have to view the play in some ways as a, 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 that a subplot, but no one will receive it that way because those characters are just brilliantly written and they're 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 remarkable human beings as they live on a stage, yeah. you know. And so I'm not, I'm not immune no, to no, the reality to, of that, you know, sure. but... But I mean, I, first, this is one thing that that's great about the relationship with Brian. Of, of several things is that when it comes to our shows, you know, we're looking at a pool of actors for everything, and when it comes to our shows, we kind of, we, 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 we kind of, I, I'm always saying, he's always like saying, whatever you want from who we have. Sure. You know, well, let's make it work. And and sometimes we're we're fighting over people, um, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know, we're arm wrestling. It's like what. I want Larry Ball. No, we don't want Larry <laughs> Bull. Uh You know, and sometimes I'm like, Brian, will you do my show? Or he's like, Dave, will you do my show? I, was like, I, I can't not because you already cast me on this thing. <laughs> um, well, I'm and, really glad there are two of you and, doing this. Yeah, and so that, you know, we're really good about about with all the directors. I think saying who who do you want? How can we make how can we make it work? This person's in high demand. You know, uh, we have some casting goals, some huge casting goals that we still haven't accomplished. We are working hard to continue to try to attract diversity in our company Uh and that has to be front and center. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a priority and, you know, we're, we're in competition with a lot of companies, um, because we need to, we need to be reflecting what the world is. And so that's, that's a priority that we need to improve, you know, and, uh, and all of these are just conversations, you know, about, and, and I knew, I knew very early on in my brain about, you know, uh, Beatrice and Benedict and the kind of person I knew that I wanted to work with Kim and I knew I wanted to work with Ben and, you know, I, 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 I had feelings about Luigi who's playing Claudio who's the only actor I've run down in a lobby in Chicago after I saw him in a play and, <laughs> and, set, and gave him my card and said, you're coming to Utah this summer. He's like, who are you? Yeah. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. And actually, it worked out great because it turns out that he's closest friend is Michael Doherty, who played fan court. Yeah. In, last in, year uh, in Charlie, in Charlie Zahn. Zahn. So somehow there was a good uh, kismet sort of, you know, yeah. like... You, uh, you-
0: you, you got the letter of recommendation yes. from Doherty was yeah, we were, uh, was we growing. were living
1: right. <laughs> so, so, you know, the, 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 I arrived at Beatrice and Benedict fairly early. And, and you know, Brian was great because Brian will say things which I say to him. Well, that's one of your central characters. So whoever you want and if I can use him, great. So when I said Ben, I said, are you cool with Ben? He's like, oh, I can use Ben. I love Ben, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that it, it often just happens like that.
0: That's so interesting
1: yeah that w- that will bring up someone he'll say hey i want as a matter of fact i've wanted to work with sam ashdown you know uh-huh. but you know he's playing henry and then the things that i've got are either too large considering what else he has to do or we just haven't it just hasn't you know but i i would never take him away but that's the priority yeah. right the henry's the, henry. the how you know and so we do a lot of that uh and we'll do a lot of well who do you want this is central who do you want and i'll say these are the kind of people, or you know that guy we saw, or that woman we saw who was amazing, and wouldn't she be great? She would. I'm not sure that there's only one thing, you know? So maybe, maybe there's an actress that, that does, you know, can yeah. do two things. Um, and so then we're, we're not, um, waste, not wasting, but you know, we only have a certain limited yeah, amount of resources. He's, he's, we gotta be in a run company. If we got too many actors doing one play, uh, we're not really being an rep company, no, so that's... all those conversations happen. I'm running on here about it, but it is uh, no. It's fascinating. A, I mean,
0: well, and I think it's one of the things that I know as a, an audience member that I think about a lot and not, and and appreciate more knowing the work that goes into it because knowing the care and attention that has to be taken and the amount of artistic negotiation, not just in terms of the contracts and things, but sculpting multiple roles in multiple shows with a single actor is exciting to watch, and it's exciting to hear about the process. Um, as we get close to finishing here, I want to talk a little bit about not just directing the show, but directing it uh, in a brand new space uh, in the Engelstad Shakespeare Theater that in so, in so many ways I think our audiences will feel, and I've loved watching it happen the last two preview nights as audiences sort of step into the space for the first time. That's great, isn't it? they feel fam- familiar, but there are people who've never been there, and it's a whole new backstage space, there's, there's a lot of new even in the familiarity. Talk about that as, uh, from a directing perspective.
1: Um, right now, to be honest with you, uh, it's challenging, you know? Uh, we, we, I'm, still, uh, I'm still futzing. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's just different enough. It feels like an old friend, it does, like the Adams, you know, but it's just different enough composing uh-huh. in the space that like the canvas is it's yeah. a little rougher it's not as white, it's wider than i'm used to which it is wider actually and deeper the, the space in some areas the balcony's higher little things um the, the seats wrap around in a way that's deeper so sightline issues um and i still have some and, yeah and you know teaching actors that have never been here before that you know that they can't turn fully profile in this house, that it's a presentational house, they gotta cheat out, that they, they gotta find that thought out to the yeah. audience rather than finding it in the eyes of somebody else or else a third of the house to two thirds of the house misses it. So those challenges along with trying to trying for me to, to figure out how the space works, how the space sounds, uh, answer questions when someone says, Where, where's the closest bathroom? And I say, I think uh, it's... <laughs> I, you, know? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, you know that. You're, so the- you're new
0: to the space too as yeah, yeah, much yeah. as everybody it's, else. I mean,
1: that, that is the cool thing. It's a classless society, which rehearsal usually is anyway, in that we're all in the same place at the same time and there's the equalizer is the same. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that has been thrilling. And it's been thrilling, I agree, to watch the audiences go, oh, I'm so relieved. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Or, well, or, but, but, so, but, those of you that wrote me those nasty <laughs> letters saying it will never be like the Adams, what are you doing? Uh, I'm excited for you to, to experience it and, and, and see an old friend and then still write me, which is fine. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, uh, what's been, okay, so to finish, so f- to cap this off, what is your favorite part about working in this new space? It, well, my, the, is it, yeah. that, is it I mean, that equalizer? That uh, it is.
1: I will say my, my favorite part about working in, in the new space is, 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 is that I'm doing the work. I mean, you know, I, it's the same as it always is, except so, so the joy from actually getting to do the work there uh, is, is front and center always, uh, that we get to make these plays, you know. And the, the icing on the cake is that it's in a new space that people are going to receive in the same you know in in a very similar way that they did before with with people um, generally genuinely excited to give to give it back to the people who helped build it you know and the center is extraordinary and I am a huge fan of what has happened here and what we've done but I always say and I believe it that the most important Piece of real estate here is probably the smallest piece. And it's that, you know, 20 by 20 or 40 by 40 uh, square feet where the plays are happening. And that's uh, why I'm blessed to be in this job. And that's what I'm excited to give to the people that uh, come in the new context.
0: Well, we can't wait for everyone to come and uh, fall in love with Shakespeare Under the Stars. Maybe slightly shifted to the east, but still great storytelling. And uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning, Uh, David Ivers, uh, artistic director and director of Much Ado About Nothing. Thank you you for listening to another episode of the Play On Podcast. Be sure to go back and listen to past interviews on the festival webpage, bard.org. Check out the latest episode released every Friday with your favorite directors, actors, and designers from our 2016 season.